Hour number two, Trent kind of back with you. Hope you're having a good Wednesday getting through the work week. Jimmy B and TC taking you home here. We'll hear from Jimmy B a little bit later on this hour. We've got some basketball talk coming up with him. We'll talk Hawkeyes, clones, and some NBA. That comes your way here at about 525. But first, let's talk some baseball. No baseball tonight. No baseball tomorrow after the Red Sox stave off elimination, beat the Yankees, and move on to the ALCS. So, Two straight nights without Major League Baseball. Not what you want in October. We're ready to preview things, though, for the LCSs coming up this weekend. And joining us is our old friend Ian Castleberry. Uncle Ian, what's the good word? Hey, how are you, Trent? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you don't want to have uh, two, two straight nights uh, without baseball. That's one of the great things about uh, the early on playoff, early playoff rounds. Uh, you have baseball every night. Before we get into the series, you just went through a trying season with your squad as the Detroit Tigers they were not good they're mired in a rebuild no. there's still a lot more to certainly come there the the tear down before the buildup starts to happen but you got to deal with oh, my old manager in Ron Gardenhire how was your number one of of seeing Gardy out there I, I you know I never thought he was the right choice uh, I think though uh for the most part, I, w- I would give uh, Ron Gardenhire a, a good grade. Let's say uh, a B plus. Um, I think maybe he's still a little too old school uh, in terms of how to put together a batting order, um, how he handles uh, the bullpen. Um, in fairness to him with the bullpen, I think he was somewhat handcuffed by uh, the lack of uh, reliable arms uh, in that bullpen. But... Um, I think, you know, they're not going to lose games necessarily because of the manager, and I think maybe that's what they wanted in Detroit rather than having somebody uh, uh, learn on the job. But uh, you do wonder as the game shifts, you know, to uh, younger, more experienced managers who depend more on analytics. Uh, You know, the Tigers aren't quite there yet. They're really rebuilding their front office, as you mentioned, uh, boosting analytics, uh, bringing in more, more people, uh, of that ilk, and maybe uh, in the meantime, while they get uh, get that settled and eventually uh, find a guy who they think uh, could could work with that approach, uh, going with a uh, old school choice like uh, Ron Gardenhire, I guess is the way to go. Um, it, it's a little bit strange to me in that I think uh, Mike Illich, uh, before he passed away, really wanted uh, Ron Gardenhire, whereas. Uh, uh, Dave Dombrowski and Al Avila uh, were, were pushing uh, for uh, younger type managers uh, like Brad Ausmus. Uh But I, I don't know if that sort of his legacy, Chris Illich, his son taking over the team, remembering that his dad really wanted Ron Gardenhire, and that's uh, ultimately what he decided. But it, it's still a curious fit there in Detroit. It, it really is. And another managerial change. Uh, that happened a year ago with Gardenhire being brought in. It's happening north of our border here in Iowa, up in Minnesota. The dismissal of Paul Molitor. And uh, you sent me a message right as it was happening, Ian. He asked my thoughts on Molitor. I think I responded, eh. I don't know if I spelled eh correctly, but that, that's what I was trying to convey with you. Molly's a great player. He's one of my favorite players growing up. But as a manager, he was open to new ideas. People called him a baseball savant. But, you know, the funny thing is, a guy like that, and people talk about him as you know, learning new, very well, positioning of players and, and getting steps and 
how to teach base running and those kind of things. With the way that analytics has infiltrated in, those old school guys that are called baseball savants, it just it doesn't have the same weight as it once did when you're talking about baseball circles. Yeah, I think I'm very curious how this offseason is going to go in terms of hiring managers because, as we mentioned, the, the trend is toward uh, more uh, to younger, inexperienced managers who are kind of uh, puppets, maybe a strong word, but you know, puppets of, of the front office. And, you know, they're going to go along with the analytics, the data uh, that the front office gives them. But you have some very well-established managers that are, are uh, on the uh, unemployment line here. Uh, you know, Joe Girardi, uh, Mike Sosha. Uh, maybe you can pit uh, John Gibbons uh, in that list. Uh, I think Mon- Molitor is, is experienced enough that maybe uh, you can put him uh, on that list as well. Um, I don't know how many jobs uh, those guys are really a fit for. Uh, you know, uh, somebody like uh, Joe Girardi, you would say, well, okay, a, a team that's ready to win right now, but who is in that position really who uh, has a managerial opening? I, I don't I don't know if I really see it uh, around Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, maybe you would point to the Nationals, but they fired a guy like that in Dusty Baker and brought on Davey Martinez. That really didn't work out. Um, you know, the, the Reds are, are rebuilding. You know, will, will the Padres make a change? I, I wonder if we're going to see guys like Girardi and Mike Sosha uh, sit out uh, another season while, while uh, uh, these sorts of things, the managerial openings, uh, shake out in baseball. You know, a name that continues to come up, I know, for that Twins job is David Ross. You saw him on ESPN. Cubs fans around here remember him well, Grandpa, from the World Series title of two years ago. He's been uh, dancing with the stars, Ian. He's done it all. Old Grandpa Rossi, you think he'd make a good manager? I don't know. if, if uh, With that Minnesota Twins team, I, I mean, I think he, he would certainly be uh, popular and, and communicate well with the players. Uh, you know, former catchers uh, seem to make uh, better managers. Uh, but when you have, like, I don't know how he would handle, you know, uh, Miguel Snow, the, the Byron Buxton mm-hmm. problems. Uh, you know, Paul Molitor had problems with that, not just in, in handling them as players, but I know there, there, were, there were issues uh, with Buxton in terms of sending him down to the minors uh, for, uh, to keep his service time down, uh, things like that. I don't know if uh, Ross is the right guy to, to handle that. But if he's more of a guy who's uh, amenable uh, to a front office that wants to exercise more control, uh, I guess he, he could be a good choice. Uh, I, I think he would be a popular choice. How do you see it? What, what do you think of David Ross as a manager there? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that makes more, a ton of sense. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah, certainly not just, sold uh, on that one. I'm not. Hey, another guy, Sandy Alomar Jr. has been mentioned, I don't know, for seven, eight years now, and he never gets a job. What, what's the deal with Sandy Alomar Jr.? He, he applies, he gets, you know, goes through the interview process. What's happening there? Any idea? I, yeah, I don't know if, if um, boy, I hate to say something like this, like maybe he doesn't interview well. Right. No, or... I, I think that's fair because th- this is a long time he's been up for managerial jobs. Yeah, uh, and uh, again, a, a former catcher, uh, a, a prominent former player. Uh, he's on a, a staff that, that that's well regarded. Um, it is baffling that uh, he hasn't gotten 
uh, a job before this. I mean, he was sort of, he and Dave Martinez, again, were, were there. How are these guys not getting jobs? I also wonder if maybe uh, the fact that uh, Davey Martinez didn't do well with the Nationals is sort of is sort of going to affect Sandy Alomar Jr. I said, well, you know, a, a, a lifer who, who is a bench coach who you think uh, would do uh, a, a good job, uh, maybe he's not going to uh, do as well. But, you know, then you look at uh, Alex Cora, uh, maybe he's a, he's a little closer to his playing days, and, and that was uh, more important. Uh, Dave Roberts uh, with the Dodgers, those guys have been real successful. Uh, it is baffling as to why. Sandy Alomar Jr. Uh, hasn't gotten a, a major league position, and you wonder if it's going to happen again this winter. Let's get into the baseball that actually is going on right now and move away from our love of the American League Central, Ian. And uh, <laughs> let's talk about the series we have coming up. First, before that last night, I thought it was a great point that was brought up. A lot of talk after Game 3 of Angel Hernandez and his struggles and the overturns of yeah. him over at first base. He was behind the plate. He was fine. I mean, overall, the whole plate umpires are going to miss things. He was fine last night, I think, regardless of what CC Sabathia had to say about him. But somebody brought up, what if last night he was the first base umpire and what have screwed up the call in that final out? I mean, talk about rioting in the stands, going from a safe call and having to call that out and end the season for the Yankees. Look out if that would have happened. Maybe he's just better at calling balls and strikes. I mean, I, I was waiting for some moment to, to happen last night, too, where uh, you, you, maybe you almost did see a building with C.C. Sabathia that uh, you know there was so much animosity toward Angel Hernandez uh, that you were just waiting for him to make a mistake. But he seems to be much better at home plate uh, than at first base. Uh, I mean, there was a stat, I think it was uh, uh, Mark Simon of ESPN said, you know, uh, over the past three years, uh, 18 of uh, Angel Hernandez's calls have been reviewed by replay, and 14 of them have been overturned. That didn't include what happened uh, the other night. So there's just something about it. He looks like he's in position. I don't see how he misses uh, these calls, but he's just terrible at it. I mean, it's the bang-bang nature of it as opposed to, to calling balls and strikes. Uh, I thought Angel Hernandez was fine uh, last night, too. Uh, CC Sabathia, the, the pitches he was complaining about, uh, I think they, they were really close, and maybe he thinks as a veteran he should get those calls. Uh, but, you know, Rick Porcello and, and the other Red Sox pitchers, obviously, they weren't having a problem uh, with the strike zones, nor were the other Yankees pitchers once they came in. So I, I thought he called a, a consistent strike zone all night. You know, Ian, uh, we look forward to the series and Astros, Red Sox. I don't know if I have the right superlatives to come up with here. How great, exciting this series has a chance to be. These are the two best uh, teams in baseball, arguably. I mean, this is exactly what you want to see uh, in a league championship series. Uh, I was impressed. I thought the Yankees would put up a little more of a fight. Uh, against the Red Sox, but the Red Sox, especially with their starting rotation, I think showed uh, how dominating uh, uh, they could be. And, and it was Nathan Eovaldi and Rick Porcello who were on the mound uh, when uh, you know the, the Red Sox uh, put away this series. I think they showed their superior depth too. Uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, Ian Kinsler, uh, Eduardo Nunez, uh, Brock Holt, uh, getting the big plays, making uh, the big impact. Uh, in those final two games. And then on the other side, the Astros, uh, you know, they they look like they could be even better 
than they were last year, especially uh, in the starting rotation. They, you know, throwing Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Dallas Keuchel out there. Their bullpen probably isn't as strong as, as some of the other teams, but uh, for the Red Sox, you know, their bullpen has some question marks uh, as well. And you know, in the postseason, it seems like these games so often come down uh, to bullpen play. I wonder if maybe the Astros have a little bit more experience in that regard uh, going back uh, to their World Series run last year. Yeah, I, I think the the experience is a component here to look for. And what did you think about them being so upset about having to play games in the middle of the afternoon instead of being in prime time? Is that anything that resonates? Yeah, I think that's a, a somewhat valid complaint. I mean, uh, it's uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's a feeling that they're, they're not being respected by uh, Major League Baseball, by the TV networks. Uh, I also think it's uh, kind of a mistake on Major League Baseball uh, to, to uh, uh, showcase some of its stars. I mean, there are so many young stars in that Astros lineup. Uh, Alec Bre- Alex Bregman, uh, coincidentally, he was one of the players speaking up. Carlos Correa, George Springer, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, uh, the pitchers of Verlander, Cole, Keuchel. Uh, I think uh, the Astros, being the defending World Series champions, should have gotten at least uh, one game in, in prime time. But I, I also think Yankees-Red Sox is a unique situation. And uh, that rivalry, you know, uh, so many of us, you know, we, we complain during the regular season about how much uh, Red Sox and Yankees are on Sunday Night Baseball, for instance. But that rivalry draws. You know, it, it is the best rivalry in baseball. And any time those two teams are facing each other, in a playoff series, uh, that that is a prime time, literally a prime time matchup. So I think in this case, it was just it was Yankees Red Sox, and, and there was just nothing uh, that that could be done about it in terms of persuading uh, the TV networks uh, to, to to go with uh, a prime that matchup in prime time. Uh, with that, uh, Ian, we look at this uh, the series coming up. Red Sox get the win, do it in Yankee Stadium. And they're playing New York, New York in the locker room afterwards. <laughs> and the, the the feign outrage from the talking heads on ESPN. I made the mistake this morning of flipping it on, getting ready. And sure enough, I, I, I sometimes our media brethren drive me up a wall. Seriously, the Red Sox are going to lose to the Astros because they're playing New York, New York in a locker room. <laughs> Why do people have to be so stupid, Ian? Uh, you know, it, it, it's such an easy uh, hook, uh, and you're right. Sometimes when you, when you see uh, our media brethren uh, go for it and make uh, the proverbial mountain out of a molehill, it is absolutely a slap-the-forehead moment. Mm. Uh, there are certainly better things to talk about uh, during the postseason with teams of these caliber uh, going up against one another than to focus on, on something weak like that. I totally agree with you. It's, it has nothing relevant about the actual series and a compelling series with so many elements, and yet you have to rely on that. Well, we will get to that on Saturday. Before that, the NLCS will get going. Ian, Brewers, Dodgers, my rooting interest, well, certainly is going to be on the Brew Crew because they're a local team for us, coupled with, I don't know if you saw this story or not, but a Wisconsin restaurant chain, they're giving out free <laughs> burgers if their winning streak gets up to 12 games. Might make my way up to Wisconsin to get some free burgers if that's the case. Go Brewers! Absolutely, twelve in a row, free burgers. How, how <laughs> could you not get uh, caught up in that? I, you know, uh, the Brewers—they're just uh, playing extremely well. I thought the Rockies uh, were going to give them a little bit more uh, of a challenge, uh, but because of their starting pitching, 
But uh, the, the Brewers are just playing so well. The, the Rockies looked a, a little bit tired out. Uh, I, I think you, you saw how important it is to win your division as opposed uh, to, to being a wild card playing in that one-game playoff. I think uh, even though the Brewers had to play that uh, game 163 tiebreaker, I think getting a little bit of a break uh, may have helped them. Uh, the fact that they're playing at home against the Dodgers, I think, could give them an edge. They're playing really well. Their lineup uh, is just amazing right now. But I do wonder if the Dodgers ultimately have the advantage uh, in starting pitching, You know, being able to throw uh, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler, Rich Hill, Hyogen Ryu uh, out there in a series. I, I think their bullpen, maybe not as spectacular as the Brewers has been this year, but still uh, a, a very formidable bullpen that I think is uh, ideally built uh, for the postseason. I, I still like the Dodgers in this series, but I, I think it's it's going to go deep, uh, you know, a six, seven game series here. It, it looks to be that one in bullpen on each side. Tell me where you sit with Kenley Jansen right now. Of course, he had the heart concerns that he's been going through, and that Dodgers bullpen as a whole. We've talked about this in the past, and just how different playoff baseball is and what it is today in 2018. Your thoughts on Jensen and overall that Dodgers bullpen? Yeah, Jensen, I mean, you got to be a little bit nervous about how he's pitched this season, but, you know, we talked earlier about postseason experience and how much that matters. Jensen has shown that he will go out there and pitch two innings or, you know, get – uh, four or five outs uh, at the end of the game uh, if Dave Roberts needs uh, that out of him. He's not a guy who's just like absolutely focused on, you know, I only pitch the ninth inning, I only pitch at the beginning of an inning, three outs, etc. Uh, we'll see if that is a factor for, for a Milwaukee bullpen that hasn't been in those situations before. But Jansen, uh, despite uh, his struggles uh, this year, um, still, I think, one of the best uh, closers in Major League Baseball. At one point, I would have called him the best closer, uh, maybe until this season. But I think he's a, a tremendous weapon and really could be the difference uh, in this series with the Brewers. Going to be great, no doubt. Ian, as always, thank you so much for your time. We'll do it again here uh, throughout the LCSs and looking forward to the World Series. Thanks, as always, for your time, Ian. My absolute pleasure, Trent. Thanks so much for having me on. That's Ian Castleberry joining us. You can find his work, Awful Announcing, does work over there. They come back and a whole lot more with Ian Castleberry. And give him a follow on Twitter, too, at Ian Cass. Always some great thoughts and nuggets from our man Ian. With that, we'll take a break. Coming back on the other side, we go from some baseball talk, get into a little basketball. Jimmy B is going to join us coming up next. We'll talk some Hawkeyes, some Cyclones. And i got to pick the old man's brain on the NBA win totals with the season closer and closer I was looking tonight because there's not a whole lot to gamble on so I was looking at preseason lines that's not ever a good thing to be doing at all you shouldn't be doing that but next week the real season will begin next Tuesday in fact it'll get going with the TNT doubleheader Golden State hosting Oklahoma City before that Boston and Philly we got to get some thoughts on some win totals and Picking the brain of somebody that isn't a better sometimes can be a good idea. So we will do that with Jimmy B coming up next. We'll talk Hawkeyes, Cyclones basketball, NBA win totals, and more. Take it up until 6 o'clock tonight. Trent Cotton back with you with more in a moment. All right, back with you on a Wednesday. It's Jimmy B and TC. We continue on. We made the announcement yesterday. The old man, as he is, uh, well, he's getting older and older by the minute. Hey, hey, hey. And he joins us right now, that voice that you hear. 
part-timer, though he'll he'll be back starting Monday for a full hour every single day from 1 until 2 o'clock. It's Jimmy B checking in. Brinson, what's up? Just another lovely day, my brother. You know that. And uh, I can't wait for the new lineup beginning on Monday. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, man, oh man, 1700 is rocking now. We are. We, of course, have all our play-by-play coverage with Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night football in the NFL, NCAA basketball tournament, everything with Westwood One, our high school sports with high school football Friday nights into high school basketball, wrestling. We got baseball, softball, a whole lot more on tap with that. And, yeah, our expansion here, it'll be, if you missed uh, the announcement yesterday, myself and Ken Miller will move up an hour from 11 until 1, Jimmy B and TC then from 1 until 2. And our new show in drive time, it'll be The Drive with myself and Wolfgang. And that'll start up on Monday. All right, Jim, let's get into it and uh, start. I want to talk some hoops with you today. And I love to give you okay. a hard time about the crappy NBA. And we, and we joke about it. And we'll, we'll do our crappy NBA minutes certainly uh, at different times throughout the basketball season. But as you know, I like to wager on things. And with the season coming up here, I was taking a look at some win totals for regular season wins in the NBA. So can can you help me out a little bit with the win totals? I'll do the best I possibly can for you, pal. Let's go. All right. Let's start with the Lakers. LeBron is there. This number has continued to move up. When LeBron first signed with the Lakers, I want to say their win total was 45, 45 and a half, something like that. I'm looking at uh, some numbers offshore right now. That number's up to 48 and a half. Ooh. Initially at that 45 and a half, I'm like, oh yeah, I really like that. 45 yep. and a half though. LeBron and the Lakers, are they a, are they a 50 win team this year in year one? Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I if if LeBron's on the team, uh, there's just really no telling how many games they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be better than what a lot of people think because all those old guys that are there, the Rondos, the Lance Stevensons, the JaVale McGee guys, they want to give it the old college try, even though it's the old professional try now. And they want to play well. And I think they will do reasonably well. I don't know, Trent, if they're going to make 50, but I think 45, when it was 45, I thought 45, 46, maybe 47 was a reasonable number. I'm not sure 50 is a reasonable number unless, you know, unforeseen circumstances happen to other teams like key players getting hurt, something of that nature. And... So I would I would not I would not be into taking the over now that it's inching up toward fifty. At forty five, I would have been tempted to take the over. Yeah, I, I think the number is kind of in the right spot now, and it, it kind of normalizes. And I'm really excited to see. You mentioned the veterans that are there, and yeah, Michael Beasley's going to be there. Rajan Rondo, yeah. Lance Stevens, the guys that are hotheads, and how that's going to go. But the young guys, and we talk about Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, of course, on this Lakers team, Kyle Kuzma. But a couple of the rookies that they have, Mo Wagner, who we saw obviously play a ton at Michigan, I'm incredibly mm-hmm. wondering you know, what, how that's going to translate to the next level. And Svi Mihailuk from Kansas, who, reading a couple things here during the preseason, we know he was a great shooter, but maybe he's even gone to another level. I, he's... Got a shot, certainly, to stick on this roster. I just, 
it's a really compelling team because of LeBron and the other pieces of it, the other parts. The Lakers, they're going to be on ESPN and TNT a ton this year. I'm fine with that. I'm excited to watch a lot of later Lakers basketball this year. I am too. I think they're they're going to be a highlight reel type of team. They really are. They're going to be up and down. They are not going to play slow. And I think you're right about Mahailu, according to some of the things that I've seen come out of Los Angeles, is that LeBron loves the guy, and he gets to places on the court where LeBron can find him with a pass, and he's open, and he makes it. So this is going to be a totally different-looking Los Angeles Lakers team than what people have seen the last couple of years. I think they're going to be highly entertaining. Going to be good there. Let's uh, go to another one I think is going to be intriguing this year in the NBA, get some win totals. And and on the local front, let's go to the Bulls. Fred Hoiberg very well could be in trouble. And and this this number, I think, is going to tell you the reason for that. They're over-under in wins this year, 29-and-a-half. 29-and-a-half? You think What's is, the status on Laurie Markkinen right now? Is he still scheduled to be back uh, playing in a few weeks? Have you seen any more updates on Markkinen? I, ha- I have not, no. Okay, because I hadn't either. But I think he's supposed to be back in a couple more weeks. 29 and a half. I'm tempted to play the over. You are. I can't, they, still, they still play in the East, right? They do, yes, yes. Okay, it's, it's not like they're playing out West. So there are beatable teams in the East by this Bulls team. There are plenty of beatable teams. I, I wow, twenty nine and a, if they don't win thirty games, Hoiberg will be gone. Well, they, they, I, I, I had them, I had them trended like thirty five to forty. And if that's the case, and the season's going that way, I don't think he'll have a chance to get there because I think he'll be fired during the season if it's going mm-hmm. as poorly and they're trending in that direction. Going to be a tough one there. A couple more locals. Are you buying the Greek uh, Greek freak hike? Of course, we got to see him up in Ames uh, on Sunday in that preseason matchup. 48 yeah. the total there. And, you know, Jimmy B, I'm thinking about maybe taking a flyer on him to win MVP this year, regular season MVP on Giannis. 48, though, the over-under number. You got a feeling on that one. Uh, that's, that's problematic. I think they're going to be entertaining and I think they're going to be good. Um, 48. Look, Toronto, now that they picked up, uh, that guy that didn't want to play for the San Antonio Spurs and Kawhi Leonard, they're going to be a handful. Toronto's going to be a handful. Boston is absolutely loaded. Philadelphia is a solid team now. Washington hasn't gone away, the Wizards. And when you look down in Florida, uh, you still have the Miami Heat. You still have Orlando is, is an improving team. Man, I don't know if they'd go 48. I, I see them over 45. That's a tough one. That's that, To me, that's the number that Vegas has hit on perfectly. But I would be tempted, Trent, to play the over with how loaded Milwaukee is. They are a loaded team this year. All right, uh, speaking of that, one thing to remember about Milwaukee and the reason that I'm kind of leaning maybe over is they have a real coach now. No more Jason Kidd. Yes. They got yes. Budenholzer who comes in. He 
actually knows how to run an NBA franchise, and because of that, I think Milwaukee is going to take a step forward. Only 5-1, to one, though, on the Greek freak odds. I thought I'd get something a little bit better than that for MVP. LeBron's 3-1, to one, Anthony Davis 4-1, to one, Giannis 5-1, to one, along with James Harden, Durant's 8-1, to one, Kawhi at 10-1. to one. That's uh, the, the top grouping, if you will, for the MVP odds. How about those Minnesota Timberwolves? They made it last year. Jimmy Butler wants out. And fill us in. I, I know you, you've talked to some people about what's happening with Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler. Uh, fill us in on what's happening up in Minnesota. Well, I was told that the deal was going to go down last weekend, that both teams were very close and they were about ready to pull the trigger. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And the whole deal blew up, Trent. So then they weren't talking at all. Uh, Jimmy Butler was back in the locker room. Uh, I don't know if he's on court uh, for practice sessions with the T-Wolves today, but he did show up in the locker room to talk to some of the players. Miami has reached out again to Minnesota to try to rekindle these talks. And it, it seems to me that the guy who owns the team, Taylor, has instructed the front office to make a deal. It seems that Tom Thibodeau, the head coach, is reluctant to do that. He's still trying to see if he can convince Jimmy Butler to come back and play, and then maybe they could deal him in February before the trading deadline. I think Butler has committed himself to getting out and and not being there, similar to what we saw with Kawhi Leonard with the San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. And I think Butler wants out in the worst way. And I think that if Miami ups their ante just a little more, you will see that deal go down. Uh, They will have to do something. Uh, They just can't go out and play and just have Butler sitting around in the crowd and not in uniform. that'll, That'll turn into an ugly scene. And I do not see the Timberwolves making the playoffs this year. 41 and a half the number there, and if that's the case, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a yeah. lot that goes into this one. Maybe one of the more difficult wagers to make would be the T-Wolves one way or the other. All right, Jim, one more on the win totals here. Having some fun with Jimmy B talking to NBA win totals. Golden State, we saw them cruise to another title. Regular season, guys sitting out, taking breaks, uh, just making sure they're ready for April and the playoffs. Golden State, the number is 63 over under. I think that's a reasonable number, even without Boogie Cousins yet in the lineup, and you may not even see him until February, March area. He's still recovering from that Achilles injury. They're just loaded once again. Now, they're weaker a little bit off the bench this time around, but look, you start four All-Stars. One, two, three, four. Four All-Stars are your starting four. Nobody else in the league can even come close to that. So why would they not be the team not to beat? Because they are, and I think 63 is a uh, real possibility uh, for this team. I I really do, Trent. All right, Jim, let's move on past uh, that. Any other teams you're wondering about win totals? I know you're not a degenerate like myself, so... You uh, probably haven't dug into these like I have. Any other teams that you're wondering what the number is? Um, I'm curious what it is on the Boston Celtics, since Uh they are the overwhelming favorite in the East. Well, let's see here. Let's get to Boston. It is 
59 is the number. Well, that's about, yeah. They so are, are they these? Yes. Are they the second highest number, 59, compared to Golden State at 63? Uh, that's let's, my guess. So everything is alphabetical here. 63, we got okay. a 56 for the Rockets. Anybody yeah, else see that. in the 50s? 54 for Philly. 55 and a half for Toronto. Yeah, yeah, they have the second best uh, win total. Yeah. And in terms of winning the East, just getting to the finals, they're a minus 120 favorite there. The Sixers and Raptors are both 4 to 1 right now. The Celtics okay. team is incredibly deep. And how you play with all these minutes that that is still to be seen. You know, Kyrie is he going to eh, take a couple weeks off? It, they have the depth to do that, Jimmy B. They are a loaded team. And if there is a team out there that can give the Golden State Warriors a six, seven game series, at least right now on paper, it appears to be the Boston Celtics. I don't see anybody else having that capability. Houston, I don't think so. I think they're going to take a step back. They're going to be a playoff team and be good again, but not like they had the opportunity last season. Um, I, I just think that it's going to be Boston matched up against Golden State. And I think I think it's a Donnybrook. I really do, because Kyrie Irving gives Steph Curry and company all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. We know that. We saw that when Cleveland beat Golden State. So from that aspect, uh, a healthy Boston team matched up a, against a healthy Golden State team. I think that's six or seven games in the uh, in the NBA Finals. All right, Jim, uh, let's wrap up here and okay. let's talk more on the local scene. Let's talk Iowa and Iowa State. A quick note, I touched on this a little bit earlier today in the program, but Iowa, you know, we, we've ripped on the scheduling. We talked about the Big Four Classic going away after this season. Well, some good news. Iowa didn't go out and schedule another game with Savannah State. For next season, 2019, after the Big Four Classic goes away, they'll be playing a neutral site game in the United Center in Chicago mm-hmm. against Cincinnati. So this is not just an additional bye game. Good to see Iowa going out and building the schedule in that direction. As much as I've ripped in some of the things in the past, have to give credit where credit's due. I agree with you. And look, Cincinnati, we know how those guys Mm -hmm. can play. They got some ballers uh, at Cincinnati. And Mick Crone has done an incredible job there. He really has. They're in the tournament year after year after year, and they will physically beat you up, Trent. And I think that's great. Uh, I'm glad it's going to play neutral court in Chicago. And I think that's a, that's a win-win for college basketball fans everywhere. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So a positive there. Jimmy B., Iowa had their media day on Monday for basketball. Iowa State will come up tomorrow. Let's start with the Hawkeyes. I saw the, though they don't officially release the, the Big Ten media poll, they only released the top couple of teams as it pertains to when they have the media days for Big Ten basketball. One of the newspapers out in Ohio, they go through and they actually ask beat writers from all the schools to compile their list. Michigan State in this group, number one, preseason number one, Michigan two, Indiana three, Nebraska four, and Purdue five. Iowa, preseason number 10 in this media poll. Where are you with the Hawkeyes? I think they'll be a little better than that. Um... And, and I get why they're at number 10, uh, because of their terrible performance last year. 
and they got beat up upon by fans, by basketball critics, by the media, and rightfully so, because there was talent on that team, and they stunk up the joint. This year, I have a feeling that that message has been sent to Fran McCaffrey and his coaching staff. I don't expect them to be world beaters defensively, but I expect them to be at least mediocre. And if you're okay with that, uh, with the way that they can score the basketball, they should win more games. So I would probably put them in that 7-8 to eight category and, and not number 10. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair enough. I, I certainly can buy that. And You know, I've talked about it the last couple of ga- days, Jim. You know how much I love talking Hawkeye basketball. It was my first sports love was Iowa yes. hoops. And because of that, I love talking about the team and about the program. But with this team and coming into this year, that's the least I've wanted to talk about it because the equation is very simple. If they're a lot better defensively, they're going to be good. And if they're not, they're going to be bad. It, it's just... It's such a simple equation, it's hard to get a whole lot of breadth and depth to the conversation because that's all that there is there. Yeah. I, I Look, I, I'm i with you. I was so disappointed last season yeah. in the Hawks. I really was. I mean, we knew what was going to take place with the Cyclones, and, and, and it panned out. Of course, the injuries made it even worse, but it panned out the way that we thought it would go down. But everybody had penciled – Iowa in as an NCAA team. Now, I'm not going to go that far this year, Trent. I'm just not. I, I mean, I, I got my hand slapped after after last season. Uh, I, I think they'll be improved. I think Wieskamp will, will help. And once again, uh, with Luca Garza, uh, you know, trying to get back now into shape after that surgery, I have a feeling that Kreener is going to become a more important piece. I really do. And if his game has elevated even more, I think Nunji's going to be the guy who's left out for trying to fight for meaningful minutes. And I think Kreener's going to be a guy who's going to grab more minutes. All right, let's jump over to Iowa State. Tomorrow will be their media day. We'll get a glimpse, of course, at uh, the newcomers with Mariel Shayok and Michael Jacobson. We've talked about those guys a whole bunch, Jimmy B. Where do you yep. sit right now with the Cyclones? At the very least, I believe, an NCAA tournament team. And I think they have a real chance to be even better than that. I, I agree with you on the tournament team. Uh, I don't really g- can't figure out and wrap my arms around it yet to see how good they're going to be and how much of an impact they're going to make in the Big 12. But I agree with you that this is a totally different basketball team than what fans saw last season. It, it won't even resemble what you saw last season. And with the addition of Shyock and Jacobson, those two guys can ball. I mean, there is no question. They both played at high-level programs and played well. And now an opportunity to sit out a year, bodies healed up. They're chomping at the bit. They can't wait to play. I, I, just, I just think this is going to be a special year for Iowa State. I just have to kind of take a step back and survey what the other teams have. We know what Kansas is. We know that. But I, I just want to see what everybody else has, um, including Texas Tech, who seems to be a team that might surprise a lot of people. Uh, I, I just want to, I want to step back just a little bit, Trent, before I say this team could be really, really special. 
We will uh, hear about that a lot more tomorrow with the uh, Iowa State yep. Media Day. Looking forward to it. Jimmy B, we'll let you get out of here. We'll talk again soon. You got it, pal. Thank you. And we continue right here on the Big Talker 1700. Trent Connor back with you one final time as uh, we take a look at what's happening on the sports calendar this evening. And I'll be honest, there is nothing. No baseball, of course. The NLCS has been set for a couple of days. Last night, the Yankees-Red Sox. That concludes with the Red Sox holding off the Yankees 4-3. to No fun belt. We had a little bit of that last night. No action. No NFL. We'll get that tomorrow, even if it is Eagles-Giants. It doesn't do a whole lot for you. At least it's football here on a Wednesday night. I mean, this is this is the evening you take control and say, wife, here you go. Here's the remote. Youngsters in the house, whatever it may be, or just have a night out on the town. Do something. Because if you are looking for sports this evening, you're going to struggle. I will be struggling this evening. I guess there's preseason NBA. No. Three NHL games. A rematch of the finals. Vegas, Washington. Eh. All right, I'm not going to lie to you. Not going to lie to you at all. Hey, thanks again to everybody out there for listening in. A fun show here today. We had Rob Howe stopping in. We talked a lot of Hawkeyes with him. Cyclone, a Big 12 talk with Pete Mundo from Heartland College Sports. Ian Castleberry was by. We previewed the NLCSs in each league with the impending National League and American League Championship Series. Jimmy B even stopped in. We talked some NBA and college buckets with him. It was a good, good day. Speaking of good days, we got a real good one coming up tomorrow here on our program. Mark Morehouse will be along. He'll be by during our early program, myself and Ken Miller, from noon to 2. You missed the announcement yesterday, though. We will be changing things, adding an extra hour of programming starting next week, starting on Monday. Program you listen to right now, I'll still be here. I'll be joined by Wolfgang. He will be joining me starting on Monday for the two hours from 4 until 6 o'clock. Really looking forward to that. Jimmy B and TC goes from 1 until 2 o'clock, and myself and Ken Miller will be from 11 to 1. So 11 to 1, Ken and myself, 1 to 2, Jimmy B and TC, 4 to 6, the drive with myself and Wolfgang. That will be our coverage coming up starting on Monday. Tomorrow, though, it'll be a busy show. We'll talk Hawkeyes. We'll talk Cyclones. We'll preview the week here from 4 until 6 o'clock. Iowa State Basketball Media Day. Kevin Lehman's going to be there. We'll talk college basketball with him. Zach Osterman from the Indianapolis Star. He'll drop by. We will preview Iowa-Indiana and get a closer look at the Hoosiers. Adam Kramer talking college football, kegs and eggs. Ken Silverstein on the Big Ten. That all comes your way tomorrow. Enjoy tonight, however you're going to do it. For us sports fans, it's going to be a difficult one to get through. We will persevere, though, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy it, everybody. Find something productive to do. We'll talk again tomorrow on 1700 KBGG.